0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of orthosis immobilization from the spine section on orthobullets.com. Haloorthosis immobilization fixes the skull relative to the torso. It provides the most rigid form of cervical spine external immobilization and is ideal for upper C-spine injury. Halo-orthosis immobilization allows intercalated paradoxical motion in the subaxial cervical spine, therefore it's not ideal for lower cervical spine injuries, and specifically lateral bending is the least controlled. An important concept to keep in mind is the snaking phenomenon, in which the recumbent lateral radiograph shows focal kyphosis in the mid-cervical spine, yet upright lateral radiographs show maintained lordosis in the mid-cervical spine. Again, the snaking phenomenon is when in the recumbent lateral radiograph shows focal kyphosis in the mid-cervical spine, yet in the upright lateral radiograph shows maintained lordosis in the mid-cervical spine. As far as indications for halo orthosis immobilization, in adults it can be definitive treatment of cervical spine trauma, including occipital condyle fractures, occipital cervical dislocations, stable type 2 atlas fractures, otherwise known as stable Jefferson fractures, type 2 odontoid fractures in young patients, as well as type 2 and type 2a hangman's fractures. It can also be used as adjunctive postoperative stabilization following cervical spine surgery. Indications in pediatric patients, haloorthosis immobilization can be definitive treatment for occipital dissociation, Jefferson fractures or burst fractures of C1, atlas fractures, unstable odontoid fractures, persistent atlantoaxial rotatory subluxation, C1-C2 dislocations, or for subaxial cervical spine trauma. Haloorthosis immobilization can also be used as preoperative reduction in the patients with spinal deformity. Absolute contraindications for halo orthosis immobilization include cranial fractures, infection, or severe soft tissue injury, especially near the proposed pin sites. Relative contraindications include polytrauma, severe chest trauma, a barrel-shaped chest, obesity, and advanced age. Recent evidence demonstrates an unacceptably high mortality rate in patients aged 79 years and older, and the specific mortality rate is approximately 21%. With respect to imaging, a CT scan prior to HALO application is indicated when there's clinical suspicion for cranial fractures or in children younger than 10 to determine the thickness of the bone. Now, let's go over the adult technique to apply halo orthosis immobilization. With respect to torque, you will tighten to 8 inch pounds of torque. With respect to location, you will use a total of 4 pins, 2 anterior pins and 2 posterior pins. In the 2 anterior pins, the safe zone is a 1 cm region just above the lateral one third of the orbit, or the eyebrow, at or below the equator of the skull this is anterior and medial to the temporalis fossa slash the temporalis muscle. This is also lateral to the supraorbital nerve. With respect to the two posterior pins, these are placed on the opposite side of the ring from the anterior pins. As far as follow-up care, you can have the patient return on day two to tighten again, and proper pin as well as halo care can be done to minimize the chance of infection. Moving on to the pediatric technique to apply halo orthosis immobilization, with respect to torque, the best construct involves more pins with less torque. You will use a total of 6-8 to eight pins, and a lower torque corresponds to 2-4 to four inch pounds, or quote, a finger-tight amount of torque. As far as pin locations, place the anterior pins lateral enough to avoid injury to the frontal sinus, supratrochlear, and supraorbital nerves. Place the pins anterior enough to avoid the temporalis muscle, and place the pins posteriorly opposite from the anterior pins. With respect to a brace slash vest, you can use a custom fitted vest for children over two years old. Children less than two years should use a Minerva cast. CT scans may help in pin placement and can help facilitate avoiding cranial sutures, can help facilitate avoiding thin regions of skull, and can help limit the risk of complications. And speaking of complications, there are higher complications in children, approximately 70%, than in adults, in which approximately 35% experience complications. Specific complications can include loosening, infection, discomfort, dural puncture, abducens nerve palsy, supraorbital nerve palsy, trochlear nerve palsy, and certain medical complications. With respect to loosening, this can occur in 36% of patients. This can be treated with retightening, and if it continues to loosen, this should be treated with pin exchange. Infection can occur in 20% of patients and can especially occur with a posterior pin in the temporalis fossa because the pins are hidden in the hairline, the bone is thin, and the temporalis muscle moves with chewing. Infection can be treated with oral antibiotics if the pin is not loose. If there's a pin infection and the pin is loose, then the pin should be removed. Discomfort as a complication occurs in 18% of cases. This can be treated by loosening the skin around the pin. Dural puncture can occur in 1% of patients. As far as an abducens nerve palsy, the abducens nerve is the most commonly injured cranial nerve with a halo. As far as the pathophysiology of an abducens nerve palsy, it's thought to be a traction injury to cranial nerve 6, which affects the abducens nerve. Remember that the abducens nerve innervates the lateral rectus muscles. As far as symptoms of abducens nerve palsy, patients typically experience diplopia or double vision. On physical exam, patients may have a loss of lateral gaze on the affected side. With respect to treatment, the treatment is typically observation as most abducens nerve palsies resolve spontaneously. With respect to a superorbital nerve palsy, the superorbital nerve is injured by a medially placed anterior pin. With respect to a supratrochlear nerve palsy, the supratrochlear nerve is also injured by medially placed anterior pins. Finally, with respect to medical complications, things to be aware of include pneumonia, ARDS, and or arrhythmia. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 36-year-old male patient with a Jefferson fracture is managed with a halo orthosis. At a routine clinical follow-up one week after the halo was applied, the patient reports mild pain at the right anterior pin site. On examination, the patient is afebrile, there is mild erythema around the pin site, there is no discharge present, and the pin is not loose. How should the pin site be managed at this time? And the choices are one, remove the pin, two, remove the pin and place an additional pin, three, tighten the pin and start oral antibiotics, four, leave the pin in place and start oral antibiotics, and five, leave the pin in place and clean the pin and the surrounding skin with antiseptic solution. The correct answer to this question is four, leave the pin in place and start oral antibiotics. So the patient has developed a superficial pin site infection. Since the patient is afebrile and there is no loosening of the pin, the best management of the infection at this time is to leave the pin in place and start the patient on oral antibiotics. Infection at the pin site is a common complication of the halo device, occurring in about 12-20% to of patients. Infection can be either superficial or deep. Superficial infections can be treated with oral antibiotics and wound care at the pin site. If a deep infection develops, the pin should be removed. If an abscess develops, parenteral antibiotics and drainage of the abscess may be necessary. Another common complication of halo device fixation is pin loosening. Pin loosening does not always occur with pin site infection. If there is no infection present, a loose pin can be managed by simply retightening the screw. Additional complications from halo fixation include skin breakdown, intracranial penetration, and nerve palsies. An abducens nerve, or cranial nerve 6 palsy, is the most frequently reported palsy with halo fixation and results in loss of lateral gaze on the affected side. Van Middendorp, et al., reported on the complications associated with halo vest immobilization in a prospective cohort of 239 patients who were treated at a level 1 trauma center over a 5-year period. They reported that 29 patients, or 12% of the patients studied, developed pin site infections, which was the most common complication and was associated with pin penetration through the outer table of the skull. This had an odds ratio of 4.34, with a 95% confidence interval between 1.22 to 15.51, and the p-value was equal to 0.024. Garfin et al. described a retrospective cohort of 179 patients who were treated with halo vest immobilization. Pin loosening was the most common complication, occurring in 37% of patients, followed by pin infection, which was diagnosed in 20% of patients. They reported that two-thirds of the pins that were loose or associated with infection required change or removal. Moving on to the next question. As part of his treatment plan for congenital scoliosis, a 7-year-old boy is placed into halo-gravity traction using 10 pins, inserted into the thickest part of the skull with a torque wrench to apply an insertional torque of 6 inch pounds. After one week, he is noted to have developed a complication at one pin site. Which of the following changes in technique would have been recommended to reduce the impact of pin complications? And the choices are 1. Using more pins, 2. Using fewer pins, three, applying a higher insertional torque, four, applying a lower insertional torque, and five, inserting the pins by palpation without a torque wrench. The correct answer to this question is four, applying a lower insertional torque. So the recommended insertional torque for halo application in pre-adolescent patients is one to five inch pounds. The insertional torque used in this case was too high. To quickly review, halo application is performed in children for multiple conditions, most often stabilization for cervical spine trauma as definitive treatment or in conjunction with operative management, and for traction as part of a larger treatment plan for severe curves in scoliosis. Due to reduced thickness of the pediatric skull, higher rate of pin side infections and skull puncture, and the unreliability of many torque wrenches, current recommendations are to use a higher number of pins, that is 8 to 12, with a lower insertional torque that is 1 to 5 inch pounds in case pins need to be removed or exchanged. Caird et al. conducted a retrospective review of 13 patients under 4 years old who had halo application for cervical trauma, arthrodesis, or scoliosis. They reported an average of 8 pins used per patient with a range of 6 to 12 and insertional torque of 2 to 4 inch pounds nine patients, or 69% of the patients studied, suffered some complication, mostly pin side infection in six cases, and so they conclude HALO application is safe in toddlers, but ambulation should be limited. Copley et al. performed a study manually comparing the accuracy at low settings of torque wrenches from four different manufacturers. They found that overall the accuracy was within 10% of the intended torque in only 69.2% of all trials and that Jerome and Mount's wrenches were more accurate than PMT and Brummer at the low settings recommended for pediatric patients. Limpafayam et al. looks at complication rates of using halo traction for correction of spinal deformity or immobilization. They found an overall complication rate of 53%, that is 36 out of 68 patients, and 10%, that is 7 out of 68, of children who required unanticipated surgery for treatment of these complications. The most common complication was pin site infections, with 76% or 13 out of 17 of these resolving with oral antibiotics alone. Traction-related neurologic injuries that occurred were common, that is 31% or 9 out of 31, but all resolved with a decrease or removal of traction weight with complete resolution occurring immediately in four of nine events. Moving on to the next question. Halo treatment for pre-adolescent children typically requires the use of which of the following? And the choices are one, four to six pins with an insertional torque of one to five inch pounds, two, four to six pins with an insertional torque of four to six inch pounds, Three four to six pins with an insertional torque of six to eight- inch pounds; four eight to 12 pins with an insertional torque of one to five- inch pounds, and five eight to 12 pins with an insertional torque of four to six- inch pounds. The correct answer to this question is four: eight to 12 pins with an insertional torque of one to five inch pounds. So the complication rate with halo vest treatment in children is reported to be as high as 68 percent in contrast to a 36 percent complication rate in adults. These complications include not only pin tract infections, but also skull penetration. Multiple pins allow for the early removal of pins without fixation consequences should pin site infections begin to develop. Moreover, there is significant variability in the insertional torque applied by a variety of halo pin torque wrenches, including those from the same manufacturer. Consequently, the use of a larger number of pins that is 8 to 12 placed at a very low insertional torque that is 1 to 5 inch pounds in children is recommended. A CT scan of the head should also be considered to assess for the thickest areas of the skull suitable for pin application. Moving on to the next question. During the application of halo skeletal fixation, the most appropriate position for the placement of the anterior halo pins is approximately 1 centimeter above the superior orbital rim and The choices are 1, lateral placement directly within the temporalis muscle, 2, within the lateral third of the superior orbital rim, 3, lateral to the superior orbital rim, 4, medial third of the superior orbital rim, and 5, lateral between the temporalis muscle and the zygomatic temporal nerve. The correct answer to this question is 2, within the lateral third of the superior orbital rim. So halo fixation is the most rigid form of cervical orthosis, but complications can arise from improper placement of the fixation pins. A relatively safe zone for anterior pin placement is located one centimeter above and within the lateral third of the superior orbital rim. This position avoids the supraorbital and supratrochlear nerves over the medial one-third of the orbit. The more lateral positions in the temporal fossa have very thin bone and can interfere with the muscles of mastication. Moving on to the next question, the halo vest is most effective at controlling which of the following spinal motions, and the choices are 1. Rotation at the atlantoaxial joint, 2. Flexion and extension in the subaxial cervical spine, 3. Rotation in the subaxial cervical spine, 4. Lateral bend in the subaxial cervical spine, and 5. Flexion and extension at the cervical thoracic junction. The correct answer to this question is 1. Rotation at the atlantoaxial joint. So the halo vest immobilizes the skull relative to the torso. Therefore, it's ideal for controlling motion at the upper cervical spine, specifically at the occipital cervical junction and the atlantoaxial junction. Halo immobilization allows for intercalated paradoxical motion in the subaxial cervical spine and is therefore less ideal for lower cervical spine injuries. Ivanich et al. performed an in vitro study measuring motion of cervical spine specimens with the variables of a normally applied halo, a loose vest, a loose superstructure, and absent posterior uprights. They found that lateral bending was increased at the C6-C7 level when there was a loose superstructure. Johnson et al. evaluated the ability of different cervical orthoses to control cervical range of motion at each cervical intervertebral joint. At the atlantoaxial joint, the halo vest restricted flexion extension by 75%, which compared to only 45% by conventional cervical braces. The halo vest was less effective at controlling motion in the subaxial cervical spine below C3. Bono et al. reviews the literature and discusses the indications, contraindications, and complications for halo immobilization. They recommend the HALO can be used for definitive treatment of C1 burst or Jefferson fractures and type 2 and type 3 odontoid fractures. Absolute contraindications include cranial fracture, infection, and severe soft tissue injury at the proposed pin sites. They discussed the high mortality rate associated with using HALO immobilization in the elderly population. And moving on to the final question, a 20-year-old man presents with a type 3 odontoid fracture and undergoes HALO application. What nerve structure is in danger if the anterior pins are placed too medially? And the choices are 1. Facial nerve, 2. Superorbital nerve, 3. Abducens nerve, 4. Zygomatico-temporal nerve, and 5. Zygomatico-facial nerve. The correct answer to this question is 2. Superorbital nerve. So the superorbital nerve is at risk if the anterior pin is placed too medially. To quickly review, when placing pins during halo mobilization, a relative safe zone for anterior pin placement is located one centimeter above the orbital rim and superior to the lateral two thirds of the orbit. This prevents injury to both the supraorbital and supratrochlear nerve, which are both located medially. Keep in mind that the supratrochlear nerve is more medial than the supraorbital nerve. Posterior pin site locations are less critical and can be positioned on the poster lateral aspect of the skull, diagonal to the contralateral anterior pins. Pins should either enter the skull perpendicular to the cortex, with the ring or crown sitting below the widest portion of the skull and passing about 1 centimeter above the helix of the ear. Garfin et al. review complications associated with halo immobilization. They found pin loosening in 36% of the patients, pin site infection in 20%, pressure sores under either a plastic vest or a plaster cast in 11%, Nerve injury in 2%, dural penetration in 1%, dysphagia in 2%, cosmetically disfiguring scars in 9%, and severe pin discomfort in 18%. Bot et al. report that superficially infected pins are managed with local pin care and oral antibiotics. Persistent or severe infections require pin replacement to a nearby site, parenteral antibiotic therapy, and incision and drainage as needed. That's all for this review about Halo Orthosis Immobilization. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.